Thank you for tuning in, connecting the Diocese from the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, a weekly show hosted mostly by me, Jack Sosha, with lots of guests, and particularly our bishop, Bishop William P. Callahan, the bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, who we will be talking to in just a few minutes. Now, I realize with Epiphany just happening this past Friday, the Christmas season is officially over, but I have to share one more story with you. Sounds like a very simple headline, an Upper West Side New York City Christmas party dished out presents, South American food, and more holiday cheer to a bunch of asylum seekers. More than 100 of them who had just arrived spent their Christmas opening presents, listening to music, talking to Santa, and enjoying food. And there were even photo ops for the little ones with Santa. The majority of the families were from either Venezuela or Ecuador. Because of their late arrival in such close proximity to Christmas Day, most of the area churches could not accommodate their needs, and so an area synagogue stepped in. S.A.J. Synagogue in New York stepped up and said, we don't really celebrate Christmas ourselves, but they do. And dozens of volunteers worked the event to make it a Merry Christmas for these new arrivals. I strongly suspect that if the Nina Rose, our houses of worship in the greater La Crosse area, would step up as well to help out folks who were Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, or Jewish who needed some help in exactly the same way that our Jewish friends did for these folks. What a wonderful story to cap off the Christmas season. I'll be back with Bishop Callahan right after this. household had a pleasant Christmas, relatively quiet. We were kind of snowed in for a good portion of it. But other parts of our little town that we live in were rocked by quite a few tragedies. There was one young married woman who was seriously injured in an automobile wreck and may require extensive rehabilitation. An apartment complex with four units and several families located above a hardware store caught fire. The entire building was destroyed. Everything that these people owned was lost. Everything except what they had on their backs. And of course, the hardware store was also destroyed as well. Living in a town full of good and generous people, there's a lot of things being donated. There are GoFundMe campaigns. There are lots of material things being donated to replace everything that was lost, everything from cosmetics to furniture. My point of telling you this is just to basically point out that these kind of things go on constantly all over the place, wherever you happen to be. There are always things that happen. There are fires, there are floods, just things happen. So when you are, for example, sorting through things that maybe you got new things at Christmas that are going to replace old things, consider donating them to a St. Vincent de Paul or a Salvation Army or, you know, if your church has got a rummage sale or whatever it happens to be, kind of go through your stuff and not things that are really, really no good, but things that really can be working and can be used. People who find themselves in these situations, often through no fault of their own, find themselves in a really tight spot. It interrupts their employment. It makes it difficult for them to pay monthly bills. And in our current housing environment, it gets very difficult to find a new place to live. 
So if you can support agencies that support people in these kinds of situations, it will go a long way to restoring to them to a kind of wholeness. It may not bring back everything they've had, but it will give them hope for the future. So be generous in any way you can, whether it be with material things you donate or even cash donations to Catholic charities or other organizations. And thank you for helping. We appreciate it. To know that in each and every heart, the seed of God's love speaks most eloquently. And the church is a voice for that. Well, as promised, the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, Bishop William P. Callahan, has joined us for our first show of this year. So I'll wish you a belated Happy New Year. Thank you, Jack. Likewise to all the uh, wonderful people who are listening to us today. You're in the Diocese of La Crosse, a new uh, semi-built studio, and I'm in my house, uh, which is a good thing because the roads really are rather treacherous uh, in our rural environment right now. This is true. My first suggestion for this week, and we'll get to this some other time next time, was to talk about the spiritual works of mercy. We've been talking about the corporal works a lot, and, and I was looking at them going, boy, this is, a, this is the flip side of the coin. But because of the death of Pope Emeritus Benedict, you know, this is like, whoop, hold on a second here. Now, you have had a lot of interfacing and interconnection with Pope Benedict. Did you meet him as Cardinal Ratzinger, or how did that whole thing work? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I was. Uh, I went to Rome in 2005. He was there, of course, as, uh, already as uh, the doctrine of the faith. Uh, you know, he had just finished the uh, catechism. And, and now you, at the same time, you were the uh, spiritual advisor at the North American College. I was one of the spiritual directors at the North Directed American College. Yes. And so this That's is 2005. Right. I'm, I'm trying to do a chronology here because this all fits together. And you were there for roughly, what, two years? And then during yeah, that time, a, he became Pope. Yes, that's right. And, a little uh, bit over that, and uh, yes, and then when he became Pope, it was just a wonderful thing. Our first Christmas show at the at the college, it was always an interesting thing because it was always an opportunity to um, to kind of do a, a fun time with whomever was in charge. So the rector would get his turn, and everybody would do a job on the rector, and then everybody would do a job on any of the members of the faculty or whatever was going on. And at that time, there wasn't any anything that went on that didn't uh, didn't affect the Holy Father himself. Benedict was always such a kind, happy, simple, beautiful human being, and so uh, so it was it was easy to uh, to to make fun with him, and uh, and everybody knew exactly where you were going and what was going to be the next thing. So. Uh, with his cats or with his ability to kind of speak English and German at the same time. So it was, it was, it was a wonderful time. So you were there, obviously, uh, with, with the passing of Pope, uh, St. Pope John Paul II, but also um, the period of time where they were electing a new pope. Did, when the puff of smoke went up, uh, number one, did you ever expect to be in Rome at a time when something like that was going on? Uh, no, <laughs> certainly not. And uh, so it was it, an invigorating experience in the, the youth of the church, uh, as it was, and uh, an invigorating time for, for me in, in my waning youth, as it was. So, uh, but it was beautiful. It was an opportunity to, to come. We had an opportunity to, to meet the Pope various kinds of ways. You know, we would go as, uh, as members of the faculty. We'd be introduced to the new Holy Father and all different sorts of things. So it was, it was quite nice. It was quite nice. 
we were on there at the time, and we explained in great detail over many weeks all the the machinations that took place, which is really quite amazing. But when that when they finally uh, when he finally appeared on the balcony, or when you first discovered who became pope, what was your reaction when you saw that it was Cardinal Ratzinger? It was an amazing moment because he didn't have a white shirt on. If you recall, he came on in uh, black sleeves. And it was an interesting moment to, uh, to say, yes, well, this pope is going to be different. He's coming out as a diocesan priest, and he's got his black sweater on, as he always did. And uh, all they did was just put a white cassock on him, and out he came. It was a moment in church history. I do recall sitting, you know, watching TV with my wife, and we both noticed the, the, the kindness in his eyes when he appeared. Yes, it was There's beaming no love. It was beaming love. I mean, it was just yes. kind of like, wow. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. When you, uh, when you came into the presence of Benedict, you were in the presence of someone who was quite amazing, quite amazing. How long after he became Pope did the process of having you be installed as the auxiliary bishop of, of Milwaukee happen? Uh, yeah, let me see. I became, uh, I was ordained the auxiliary bishop of Milwaukee on December 21st, 2007. Okay. Yeah, December 21st. Do you think there was any uh, of the previous interaction with you being the, the, the spiritual director uh, and meeting with him fairly often, I would probably guess, that influenced his decision? Oh, no. No? <laughs> Hardly, Jack. Thank okay. you. Thank you I, for I, I the thought... kindness that I, what, uh, you flatter me. But no, no, I was just uh, uh, an elf in the workshop. And well, yeah. uh, that's pretty mm-hmm. much what kind pretty of Pretty important elf it. as far as. But let's get off the topic just, just very momentarily. The spiritual director for the North American College, what is that role? Well, I was one of them. We had, I think at that time, we had seven, seven of us who were on staff, full-time staff at the college. And then there were three or four of us who were ancillary, who were uh, adjunct spiritual directors. They had other jobs inside the Curia, the Vatican Curia, and uh, they came on and helped, uh, helped take care of uh, the students. At that time, I had 31 guys who came to me for spiritual direction. So mm-hmm. that was quite a bit. And in those days, of course, you know, and they all went to school in the morning. And so we would, we would meet with them. We spiritual directors would meet with them in the afternoon. And so in the afternoon, we would, they would come in and we'd sit, we'd chat, find out how things were going. And so it was, it was an interesting time. And of course, some of the guys would look at me because by the time they would get back home from, from school, lunch, pranzo as we called it, lunch was served at uh, a little after one. So by the time we would finish with lunch, and usually at lunch there'd be wine and there'd be pasta and there'd be all the usual kinds of accoutrements that went along with, uh, with food in Italy. Got upstairs again and my first, my first person coming in would usually be coming like about 2.15 or 2.30, something like that. And, uh, you know, then we would just kind of, you know, grind them through as best we could, you know, to make sure that we were taking care of their needs and, and listening to what they had to say. But we had to do that without falling asleep. And uh, you know, because this is the middle of the day, we had just had a, a, a quite a, a sizable lunch in as much as there would be, uh, you know, a pasta and, a, you know, some sort of other thing that went along, a, you know, vegetable or something. 
So sure enough, by the time you get upstairs, get back to, to your room, sit back down and get ready for whatever is going to be happening, you're kind of, you know, glassy-eyed <laughs> and looking at these <laughs> poor guys. I had one who is who is just a wonderful, good and holy priest down in Texas now, but he was a student at the time, and he'd come in and he'd bring tea. So he brought, he brought a pot of tea and he brought cups to share it with and... Uh, uh, some kind of munchies, uh, cookies of some sort. So uh, it, it was it was wonderful. And I said, oh, thanks so much for bringing it. He says, well, this way at least you won't fall asleep on me. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was good. I mean, they were all they were brutally honest sometimes. It was mm-hmm. amazing, but good. Now, you know, we you, I should say, told this story that I'm going to be t- asking you about 550 shows ago. Um, but it ties, <laughs> it ties in with, with Pope Benedict because we're kind of reminiscing a little bit as well as honoring him. You told the story about how you were called to some important office where they were telling you that, that the Holy Father would like you to become the auxiliary bishop. And uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the benefit of those who were not listening 550 shows ago, and we have repeated that story early on, but, but I, I wonder if you could kind of refresh us on that story. You're, you're at the North American College, and you are being summoned. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I'll let you take the rest of it, if you don't mind. It was October 15th. 2007. Uh, I was on the phone, actually, with uh, one of my confreres, a Franciscan. In, uh, he was in Milwaukee, and I, of course, was in Rome, and we were talking. And it was about, say, 20 after 10 in the morning. As I said, the seminarians were always at school in the morning because that's the way the system ran in Rome, and still does, for that matter. So, uh, so the guys were away, and I was. Uh, we had we had the time to be on the phone catching up with personal phone calls and other sorts of things that were going on. So he and I, Father Robert and I, were talking on the phone. And sure enough, there was a beep on the phone indicating another call coming in. And he heard it as well and said, do you have to take that? And I said, nah, I think it's probably, you know, someone who is calling in for direction or different sorts of whatever's going on and needs to talk to a priest. I'll, I'll let it go into voicemail, and I'll take care of it after I finish with you. Well, sure enough, we continued on with our conversation. All of a sudden, I'm hearing on the, the door to my apartment, pounding the fist of uh, one of the other priests, one of the other spiritual directors. They open the door, call him in. He says, he says, Bill, you have a phone call, a phone call from the Vatican. And I said, oh, okay. And so the priest I was on the phone with heard that and said, Oh, a phone call from the Vatican. I said, I said, Robert, don't worry about it. It's it's probably just the kitchen. I said, we're we're the Vatican for that matter. I mean, you were right down the hill from the Vatican. And so he said, okay, well, you take your call from the kitchen, and I will be back to you later on. Sure enough, a phone call came through, and it was uh, Cardinal Ray, and Cardinal Ray was the prefect of the Sacred Congregation for Bishops. And I, and I thought to myself. What is this? So sure enough, it was, it was he who was calling, and he talked to me, and he says, the Holy Father wants to, uh, is calling to invite you to become the auxiliary bishop of Milwaukee in service to Monsignor Dolan. And I thought, well, what? <laughs> this is a joke. And so, no, 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 it wasn't a joke. And uh, he says, he says, can you come to see me today at five o'clock? And I said, yes, your eminence, I can do that. And he, so he says, good, click. 
it was the end of the phone call. And so sure enough, I, I, was, I was amazed and thought, well, okay, I gotta go and see Cardinal Ray. So uh, I went down to see him because we had a five o'clock appointment. But when I got to, to, his, to his apartment, it was, just, it was just down the hill. So I left for a five o'clock appointment. I left like about 10 minutes till five or so. And going down, it's October, October 15th, beautiful day of St. Teresa. And as I'm going down the hill, I'm looking at the, the bougainvillea trees and everything else, and I'm thinking, Callahan, I said, you know, this is October, and you're looking at all these beautiful flowering trees. And everything. Do you realize what October is like in Milwaukee? And I'm thinking, I don't know, brother. So I got down to, to the Vatican Gate, and uh, the Swiss Guard are there, and, you know, they kind of hop to, and... Uh, I said, I have an appointment with Cardinal Ray. Oh, yes, pronto, pronto, you know, come through, come through. And I got in there, and then all of a sudden the Vatican police take over. So the Swiss Guard will take you to the gate, the Vatican police take you from there. And since I was going, I had an appointment with a cardinal, this was obviously some, something that was important. So this kid, this was a, you know, uh, one of the guys, this, this, this officer, for the Vatican police, could have passed for one of the students at the North American College. And he said, and so uh, he's saying, well, you have an appointment with, with, the, with the Cardinal. And I said, yes. And he says, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I said, no, it's, the, it's five o'clock and there's plenty of time. And you know, no, 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 you've got to, you know, so when an Italian wants you to hurry, you hurry. When an Italian wants you to go slowly, you go slowly. Well, this guy was in a big hurry and he walked faster than any North American college kid that I ever had in, and knew at the, at the college. So sure enough, we got there and I'm telling him, you know, slowly, slowly. We got to the Cardinal's uh, residence and uh, he just started pressing the doorbell relentlessly. And he had one of those, one of those bells where you, know, you, have, you can see whomever is pressing your doorbell. And so sure enough, I said, I said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, because it was still plenty of time before five o'clock. The cardinal was not going to answer the door early. I was early, and that's, that's bruta in, in Italian. You just don't do the, such a thing. So you don't hurry him up. He can hurry you up, but you don't hurry him up. So sure enough, five o'clock, St. Peter's bell rang, and I just looked, I said, okay, that's it. So I just let the bells ring, five o'clock, I went and pushed the doorbell, boop, the door opened. And so I came up, and he, he says, take the elevator, and I took the elevator, came upstairs, there he was, right, right outside the elevator door on whatever floor it was, and, you know, and he gave me a nice hug and a brazo, you know, a hug. Uh, and just coming to, to his place. And then we went into his apartment, and as we got in there, he said again, the Holy Father has requested that you become the auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee uh, in service to Monsignor Dolan. The very same thing all over again. And what do you say to his holiness? Well, I looked at him, and I thought, my God, what do you expect me to say? I mean, you know, and I said, your eminence, I'm a priest. I already said yes to His Holiness and to the church years ago. And so he says, good, now you must not tell anyone.
The only person you can tell is your spiritual director and Monsignor Dolan. In Italy, Monsignor, of course, is the name for the bishop, so that you could talk to uh, the archbishop. So sure enough, I said, okay. So I uh, went and I sat down with him, and we chatted about what, what it means to be a bishop, what all these things were happening, and uh, what I thought about uh, Pope Benedict and all those sorts of things. I said, yeah, I like him very, very much. And so that was it. This time was over, and you had to go. So it was like about 20 after 5, and we were finished. And uh, so sure enough, off I go. And uh, it, was, it was quite a day. But that was the end of it. The next day, I went to see my spiritual director at St. Peter's. And sure enough, you know, I was just a mess. I mean, I was just weeping and wailing and all kinds of stuff. Because, yeah, this was, this was an amazing thing to be happening. And my spiritual director says, you're crying. Why are you crying? You are a priest. You should not be crying. You are going to be a bishop, and you should not be crying. This is not what happens. And I thought, oh, brother. Yeah, it does. For me, it does. So the well, rest of it is history. Yeah, I, I, I love that line where he kind of leans into you and goes, you know, the Holy Father is requesting that. And what do you say to the Holy Father? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a moment, Jack. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell I you, mean, that was a moment. As if you would say, no way, Jose. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm going back to my apartment. Say? What am I going to yeah. say to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. So no, I, but it was, it was wonderful. Well, I wonder if Pope Benedict was as surprised when he was picked to be Pope. I mean, what did he, I wonder what was going through his mind, you know, at the same oh, time. Oh, my goodness. Well, you have to realize, first of all, he and Pope St. John Paul were great friends. They were great friends. If he would have been asked, and I don't know if he was ever asked if he would want to be Pope, to be the successor to, to John Paul, but I'm sure he would, never, he would never be so presumptuous as to say, well, certainly I'd love to be Pope. He would take whatever was coming his way, and uh, he would do what he was told, and he would do what the Holy Father wanted him or suggested that he wanted him to do. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much it. I mean, we're, we're kind of taught that from the earliest days. The one thing you want to be is you want to be a priest. You're not worthy to be a priest, but you're studying to be a priest, and this is, this is the way it goes. But when you, when you get asked to be a bishop, that's a whole different story. So um, I guess when Benedict was asked to be the vicar of Christ, especially to be the vicar of his friend, John Paul, it must have been a moment of ex extreme joy because Benedict handled everything with his characteristic joy and holiness. And so it was a beautiful moment. And he carried it on during his time as Pope with, uh, with that wonderful sense of fondness and affection for the church and for the people who would come to the church and for the people who came to visit him in the Vatican. So it was a great, great time for the church. I think someone said uh, those years back uh, when the process was still going on and he had not been picked yet, that those uh, bishops or cardinals or whoever who aspire and think they should become pope don't become pope. That's true. That, that's true. Not enough of them, you know, don't go ahead and, and understand that. There's always, there's always somebody who wants it. I mean, there's somebody who is kind of moving along and trying to be, trying to be somebody. But it's not an easy job, believe me. Well, that's the thing. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking that you've got this transition from priest uh, to bishop to archbishop and cardinal and pope. 
each one is an additional layer of, of responsibility and there's more attention to everything you say. Yes. And then when That's you become true. when you become pope, they boy, they you know, uh, you know, everything. I mean, if you don't like a particular kind of pasta, the whole industry collapses, you know, or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's amazing what goes on like that. And uh, yeah. there were there were so many uh, symbolic things, even with Pope Francis, where instead of getting a gold ring, he got a, a silver ring that was gold plated to, to show a certain humility. Uh, th these things have ripples and impacts. And so here you were. Uh, I realize we're talking about Benedict mostly, but this this filters through. You get to go to Milwaukee, and all of a sudden you have responsibilities you probably never dreamed of. That's correct. And then sometime later, uh, the same pope who. I have to think that he must have reviewed what you did in Milwaukee. I'm assuming he, he, you know, he doesn't just get a dartboard. But uh, uh, then he assigns you to lacrosse, and that That's is true. again, we're, even though we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about him now. The, the story of where you were and what happened when the next bomb was dropped on you is worth repeating. Can you tell us about that? When you when you told that, you, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was uh, was uh, Archbishop Sambi. Archbishop Sambi, who was the Apostolic Nuncio in the United States at the time, and he called Memorial Day. It was Memorial Day, and I had I, had, I was I was eating a brat, and so I had a brat in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other one, and sure enough, all of a sudden, here comes the phone uh, rings, and it was reading the uh, Apostolic Nuncio, and I had enough stuff going on in Milwaukee that I needed to have his number on speed dial. Uh, so sure enough, I answered the phone and it was Bishop William. You are free for a moment? And I said, yes, Your Excellency, of course. And uh, sure enough, the Holy Father would like you to go to uh, La Crosse and be the Bishop of La Crosse. What do you say to His the Holiness? Holy <laughs> You guys got to get some new lines, you know, so, uh, but uh, I said, yes, I, that, that's possible. He says, and then he started to laugh and he says, well, you know, the uh, uh, lacrosse gave a, uh, an archbishop to Milwaukee because the Stecky came from lacrosse to go to be the archbishop of Milwaukee. He says, so now it only seems to be reasonable that he should, that Milwaukee should give a bishop to lacrosse. And I said, yeah, whatever you Ooh. say, Your Excellency. So sure enough, that's how I wound up here. What a moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I cannot imagine the process of picking not only people to become bishops, but where they're assigned. And, and I, mm -hmm. I have to believe in my heart that the Pope looks and nods his head and goes, yeah, this would be a good choice. And I also have to believe that just as they say with the, the election of a Pope, that the, the action of the Holy Spirit is involved. And, yes. Uh, because, it's, seriously, the, uh, uh, yeah, your coming to La Crosse has been a wonderful thing, and, and we've enjoyed it, and uh, there's so Thank much uh, peace. Thank and uh, I realize there's all, you know, every, every diocese has got their conflicts, their problems, and their things to be solved. Every single yes. one. And the, the, the Franciscan influence up in the diocese, yours and also the Franciscan sisters, this has permeated the diocese. There's a sense of generosity. Look at the whole thing going on with Chalice of Mercy and all this stuff mm -hmm. going to Ukraine. Uh, you know, when people come to you saying, I want to try to do something good, generally speaking, you say, yeah, <laughs> you know, do it. <laughs> 
because by we, all means. We, we need all the help we can get. And, and, and it has worked out extremely well. This has been an interesting time because for the first time in, what, 600 years, we had a pope say, I'm retiring. Yeah. And then yeah. so all of a sudden we have the situation where there are two individuals who have been pope. And I guess once you're pope, you're always a pope, but you're a pope emeritus. I suppose that's how it works. Yes, and uh, the title is given emeritus, meaning, you know, the, the one by, by whom such goodness has been accomplished. But nevertheless, he is still the Pope. Now, he's not necessarily the one in charge. He was, but he's not. And so, uh, nevertheless, he steps aside and allows the Pope who was elected lately to be the Pope. And so Francis came in and began being the Pope, and Benedict, like St. John the Baptist in one sense, he must increase, I must decrease. And that's exactly what happened. Benedict it was such a, such a strong man in his humility and in his generosity. There was never anyone you know, who, could, who could question that in him. He, he was very serious about his, his, his sensitivity and his appropriation to the mission of the church, and he wanted to be of service, and he was. And there were so many aspects of the, the benefits of knowing sacred theology. He, he certainly talked about those things and that with his priests, with, with the different kinds of people, with the synods, the various ways in which he instructed the church. So he was and, and remains, will remain in the heart of the church, someone who was exceedingly simple, but incredibly beautiful in terms of his complexity, his, his understanding of the complexity of what the church was about and how he was given to, to, to be the vicar of Christ on earth. Beautiful man. It is said, you know, and whether this be in the secular corporate world or when a bishop retires, for example, and stays in the same town. Uh -huh. you know, it's kind of like the CEO of, um, of 3M or something staying in St. Paul. There's always this tendency for people to keep going to the previous guy. It is challenging, yes. And then you've got to, you, and, and what, uh, you know, what Pope Benedict did was he really, he, he didn't become a recluse by any means, but he went on to his studies and all the things. He really did get off the radar screen. Yes, he did. He understood that in his time, after his active papacy, that he had an opportunity to write, to teach, to instruct, to be a, a leader uh, as, he, as he was, as, as the Vicar of Christ and successor to St. Peter. He knew that he had an opportunity to teach and to, and to preach and to lead others into Jesus Christ through the church and through his work. So his retirement uh, and his going away from the activities of the papacy didn't frustrate him, didn't, didn't cause him uh, you know, to be some way, somehow, you know, less happy about his life. He was very happy about his life and, and he, he wrote more books, uh, commented on different sorts of things. I, uh, I must say he was, he is just, just an amazing man and very saintly. This would not surprise me at all if we would not be hearing soon about the efforts to move towards beatification and canonization of this beautiful and holy man. 
And when those things occur, as we have done with Father Walieski here more locally, we explain the process. It is not something that is just an automatic fill out the form and bingo, you're a saint. So if that happens, we will have to do that. Uh, you know, we've had, well, again, with Father Walieski, who knows? We have various things going on in the world of uh, maybe, maybe not miracle stuff. It, it is unbelievably not easy to become a saint. Mm -hmm. Unbelievably no. not. Definitely not, definitely yeah. not. And, and uh, Pope Benedict certainly was intellectual. He was intellectually gifted uh, and was able to speak the truth plainly and poetically. He had a beautiful way of, of speaking in terms of expounding upon the truth of our Catholic faith. And with that, of course, came the, the beauty and the wonder of the ways in which he was able to, to respond to various aspects of the church. He was, he, he was able to respond to the liturgical efforts of the church, the, uh, the beauty and the wonder of the liturgy of the church, how to help people to understand the depth of the practice of the faith. So when he came out and he started talking about uh, the beauty and the wonder of the Latin language being used in the church. It was not a problem for him. And in the way in which he explained it, it was not a problem for anyone else who listened to what he had to say. He was not a complex man. He, he certainly was able to, to speak the truth in so many ways. And he, was, he, has, he had a gift for language, he had a gift for the ability to speak to, to people and to lead them into a, a, a greater knowledge and love of Jesus and his church. And all of those things are magnificent aspects of what he did for the church during his time as a leader of the uh, various ways in which he served, uh, as, uh, you know, as, as leader of the, the various uh, situations where, where he was a leader or a, a, a definer of the church for the world in which we live. And uh, then he was, uh, he was also able to kind of go along with and understand how he was going to listen to and respond to uh, the people who thought he was, he was uh, uh, a dinosaur. You know, yeah. while he was, well, he was just so old and, and, and feeble and, uh, you know, just trying to, just trying to, to live his life as, as a holy man. So, you know, he was liked and he was liked profoundly. He was greatly liked, uh, but he was also disputed as, uh, as someone who was, who was old fashioned and out of touch. So, uh, but he did not, he did not shake, shatter, he didn't fall apart. And he's lasted for low like, 10 years after his active ministry as Pope. And he's, he's just been on the money and he's been uh, in, it for, in it for the long haul. Reminds me of a, of a t-shirt and sweatshirt I saw in some catalog that uh, was done by, I think, public television or something. And you know, they have a, a, a demographic that skews a little bit older. And uh, one of the sweatshirts had just simply said, go ahead, underestimate me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but I like that. And yeah, that, I like that, that certainly yeah. is true. I think true that's, that's true. You know, that basically, uh, you know, I, have, I can't, I'm going to ask you how many books he wrote. I don't expect you to know the exact number, but he wrote a pile of yeah, them. He did indeed. And I, and I think that they're up there 
in the in the hundreds. Now that's I think he did. I think he did break the hundred mark. And when you consider that this wasn't just a you know how to cook baked potatoes or something like that, the kind of thing I would end up writing about, you know, how to do podcasting. Uh, this what he was writing had to be. Uh, not just imprimatur, but I mean, it had to be really correct or authorized and proper because look who's writing it. Yeah, so true. And, and, and so it, true. to write a hundred of them, I mean, the, the intellectual capacity, not to mention the physical vigor. Uh-huh. I mean, I've been working on this one script. I'm finally getting it done if I can get past the, you know, the furniture moving in our house going on right now. It has taken me a year. And, I, and my wife has still said, now you've got to put in some transitions. I'm like, oh, oh man. You know, but to, to write a hundred uh, theological treaties, many of which would be accessible to a fairly average interested reader, it's unbelievable, and I, I, I frankly, I'm embarrassed. I can't say that I have. I'm familiar with any of the titles. Are, are there any ones that you personally said, oh "My gosh, this is great"? The series of the Jesus of Nazareth books, absolutely phenomenal. They were challenging intellectually. They were spiritually uplifting. The depth of his of his command of the language. Oh, it was, it was amazing. He is a man of incredible talent and, and depth. So when you, when you start wanting to read something, that's it. You, know, you go to Jesus of Nazareth, which I believe was his, his crowning achievement. He probably wouldn't say so. There are others, of course, but Jesus of Nazareth certainly touched others. I remember talking to one of my nieces, and, and she went on and on about Jesus of Nazareth. And, uh, and, I, and I think it was one of the, one of, there were three volumes of it, and I think she went on about, you know, just the, the middle one, which is, of course, expounding Jesus, uh, expounding upon Jesus in his public life. And, uh, and she, was, she was just so captivated by the way in which Pope Benedict announced the, the, the message of Jesus and uh, connected her in a special way to who Jesus was, and it was it was it was a beautiful opportunity, and I was so proud of her because she got it. I mean, she got it. She was not a she, she you know, was not the the slow boat in, in any way to to anywhere, but she certainly got it, and I was I was so proud to listen to her. As people hear this show, we have just this past Friday uh, celebrated Epiphany. And uh, I, I think that between this period of time, between now and Lent, it's not the worst time in the world to, for example, get a copy of, of one of these, all three volumes, I suppose. Yeah, all three but, volumes, certainly. Yeah, because we're in this period of time, we just, most of the world just flat stopped for this event that we have just finished celebrating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I did in, la- in last week's show, I, I wanted, did not do a lot of public service announcements, but I did this, I, re- I read that with that thing about one's solitary life, and I put it wow. on there. You know, and it yes. talks about all the armies, all the navies, all of the you know, generals of the world combined together have not had the influence of this one single life. I remember so, that being something that was very important to you. It was, it was something you've spoken about in, uh, in other times when we've been together. Oh, sure. Yeah. My, my, my story well told about how the, when I was working my first Christmas Eve at the Pentagon, we were tapped mm-hmm. into the whole world via teletype machines, <laughs> which, which <laughs> clattered. Uh, and 
I was sitting there working the, the stuff coming through, and slowly as the night progressed, they all stopped. The whole world, Western world, the, the Christian world, got quiet. And maybe there, every once in a while the teletype would go, Brrrr. and all it would be would be General So-and-So sends Christmas greetings to General So-and-So. And I sat there. You, know, you talk about the impact of one life you know, more than 2,000 years ago and how these people can possibly say, well, it was just, uh, I, I read somebody, some posting in one of the online newspapers going, uh, Christianity was invented by the Romans 1,600 years ago. <laughs> I'm going, where did you get that from? <laughs> if, if, if I was jumbling words into a word salad, I couldn't have said something more stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, what, what are you talking about? What bizarre, warped, you know. So maybe if, if you were to read something, for example, that Benedict wrote, uh, which apparently is relatively accessible if you sit down and, and can, you know, get quiet and read these things. Between now and, and Easter, it would have Definitely. a big, it would have a big impact, and what a nice way to honor him as well. In yeah. preparation for for the great gifts of Easter, mm -hmm. and yeah. in preparation for for understanding the depth of Jesus as a friend of Benedict, uh, someone whom he knew intimately. You can go in, you can Google uh, famous quotes of Benedict the Sixteenth. And, and as you start reading them, there'll, there'll be, there'll be a, a ponderous list, but nevertheless, it will introduce you to what was Benedict thinking when he, as he started to write these books? Uh, what is his knowledge of Jesus? And how does he communicate that? Uh, do you when, you, when you listen to him talk about Jesus Christ, or when you read his writings or consider his thoughts, uh, there are various ways in which you go more deeply into the realm of, of a human being, simple man, born in a simple time, you know, uh, coming out of, uh, you know, a, a war-torn area in, in the life of uh, German citizens and Central Europe and all these different sorts of things. But every single time you come into a different aspect of, of what he has to say, Benedict doesn't disappoint. There is never a moment where you are, where you are left, you know, without saying, wow, did, you, did I read what, he's, what he wrote there? And, mm -hmm. and it does, it makes a difference. Now, again, because this is the first time in 600 years that we have had uh, two popes living and one passing away. The, a funeral for a pope emeritus probably will be is somewhat different than for the pope not emeritus. <laughs> Whatever yes. the word. And so I'm, I, I'm just kind of guessing that in his final uh, letters and maybe requests, maybe he was trying to keep his, uh, his funeral uh, as simple as can be allowed at the Vatican, I suppose. There are like 60,000 people going to show up or something uh, laying in state. But I, I got the impression that it's, it's not going to be the St. John Paul II funeral. <laughs> uh, no, it'll be a little different. Yeah, yeah. But there is a certain amount of simplicity and nobility about a pope's interment, rest, funeral, whatever. There are, there are things that are supposed to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, there are nine days of, of prayer. So when, the, when, when the, the, the death of the Pope is announced, all these various sorts of things still go on, 
even though he is, and we, and we keep saying it, I, I keep finding people who, who have more and more trouble trying to figure out just exactly what he is as a, you know, an emeritus and what that means. If he is, he is the Pope, that's not gonna change anything. He is the Pope. Because he's not actively the Pope, he's emeritus. He has taken on a, a more simple role in terms of leading the church. He is not the guy in charge, but he certainly understands what it means to be in charge. He understands what it means to be the leader of the church, to be the vicar of Christ, to be the successor to St. Peter, all these various sorts of things. And this is all written, how these things are supposed to be done. And there are books, the whole idea of nine days of prayer, uh, the ways in which we are called to, to reflect upon the life of this man who was the vicar of Christ, what that means. The, the same way you and I are talking about this, this whole thing, Jack, is the same way people are looking all over the world, trying to figure out what did he do? How, what did he think? How did he get to be like this? And then you start to realize his friends, his family, the people who loved him, loved him deeply and cared for him and listened to him as a friend and as a mentor. So there's lots of ways in which they come to understand this man who was Pope Benedict. You know, I was taught through RCIA and I have taken this to heart, and I believe this sincerely, that the election of a pope, the selection of a pope, whatever word you'd like to use, is influenced through the power of the Holy Spirit. Always. And I Always. absolutely believe this. I absolutely believe this for a variety of reasons. And so, if you know, there should be some... You're, you're basically laying to rest someone who was made pope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, the Holy Spirit helped pick him for a reason. We may not understand the reason in ourselves, you know, and some people probably do. I have no idea. But the fact of the matter is, is that it, it didn't happen by accident. No. You know, it's and as you simple know, as that. When I listen to us speak like this, I think about the, the various popes who have been in my life, you know, and I started off while uh, uh, Pius Twelfth. Was, uh, was actively the Pope. And, uh, you know, and the world was so bizarre in those days, you know? How sad it was because of the ways in which, um, you know, people were being uh, misused and misrepresented and mistaught in terms of the ways in which the world was going. And so, uh, yeah, Benedict grew up in that. He was younger than, uh, than John Paul. And in John Paul's time of growing, he understood these, these various kinds of ways in which the complexities and the perplexities of the world became so much more pronounced. The wars, the, the troublesome spirit that existed in the hearts of men, so many different kinds of ways. And as John Paul grew older and Benedict watched this man, Benedict always wanted to be a priest. He grew into the priesthood just as his friend John Paul grew into the priesthood. And he wanted to, to learn the ways of, of how he was going to preach Jesus Christ. And so he did. 
and it was it was a magnificent growth. And we we have been so blessed because you know the the popes who have gone during our lifetimes, Pius the twelfth, uh, John the twenty third, uh, John Paul one, John Paul two, Paul the sixth, all these different saintly popes. They've all become saints. And I mean, you know, normally you'd, you'd go through this time and you'd think, this is, very, this is very strange trying to think about, you know, one pope after another during our lifetimes have become saints. And that's why in my, in my, in my humble opinion, uh, there is no doubt that, that Benedict will become a saint, will be proclaimed a saint. In my, my estimation, he already is saintly and has, has given ample opportunities for us to understand his sanctity. But you know, if the Pope sees it in wisdom to, to proclaim him such publicly, then praise God. But we have lived in extraordinary times, extraordinary times, to see these men become saintly and great people leaders. Well, now you've got my, my interest up to, to get those three volumes, <laughs> which I, I, yes. need to, I need to read more and watch those movies. Uh, and this Christmas season has been a, a, a good one for us in terms of time to contemplate things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have seen examples of kindness and uh, corporal works of mercy left and right everywhere I've turned. And which has helped keep me sane versus the, the bad stuff. Uh, again, I don't want to spend more time on the stuff I talked about already, but yeah. the, the young lady at the liquor store just outside of Minneapolis who saw a homeless man walking through the slush and ice with no shoes on. He had just socks. And she had a prized pair of athletic shoes that she really cherished. And she called him into the store and she said, here, take my shoes. You know, this is the kind of stuff that just it made my whole Christmas to see these things going on. Um, this and is exactly I, this, right. Yeah, it's a terrific, terrific stuff. So I really enjoy that. Can you do me a favor? Can you can you leave us with what I'm sure will be a more than adequate and more than appropriate prayer and a blessing as we conclude this particular show? Oh, my dear friend. Yes, my dear people, how blessed we are. Heavenly Father, eternal God, we are so grateful for the men and women you place in our lives, how you raise us and how you call us and how you inspire us to go deeper and deeper into the mysteries of faith and into the mysteries of awareness of your presence in our lives. And then as you give us those men and women as leaders, the popes whom we have known over the years of our lives, the fantastic ways in which they have opened us to the mysteries of your being and the ways in which we can respond. Oh, almighty God, the ways in which you call us to know you and to serve you and to love you, help us to do so. We ask this in the name and the power of Jesus, who is your son and Mary's forever and ever. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, Jack. God be with you. 
This hour, we've been talking quite a bit about the idea that uh, Pope Benedict was uh, quite the theologian. There is a gigantic amount of theological and accessible information about the church online. And one of the best places you can go is to the Diocese of La Crosse website, diolc.org. In a special arrangement with Franciscan University at Steubenville, Ohio, the Diocese of La Crosse now offers a absolutely free series of courses that you can just take online. They're not interactive. They're, they're lectures and talks and discussions. But you can simply go to the diocesan website and you can register and pick the class that you think you'd like to hear about. There's all kinds of topics, many of which are absolutely universal to people's needs. Franciscan University has given us an extremely good price for these, and each church is allocated part of the series. That's why you need to register so they can figure out who from what church is, is essentially tuning into. The You'll also find recorded masses and various homilies from priests around our diocese and other talks with the bishop and others. It's a very dynamic and growing website because we know that different people need to learn about the church in different ways, and one of them is to do it online. There are also, by the way, archives of many of our previous shows at diolc.org. There are also places where you can leave prayer requests. If you haven't looked at the diocesan website, diolc.org, in a while, you may be very surprised. If you've never looked, you are going to find a treasure house of spiritual and practical information as well. This is good, solid information that you can trust. So take a look, especially if you get a little bit of cabin fever and you can't get out because it's icy. Well, hey, spend some time with us. Go to diolc.org, the Diocese of La Crosse website. Jack Sosha here with you on Connecting the Diocese. Bishop William P. Callahan was our guest this hour. Bishop Callahan also celebrated a memorial mass for Pope Emeritus Benedict on Thursday the 5th at 12.10 uh, p.m. at the St. Joseph the Workman Cathedral in downtown La Crosse. Some of our communications department people were on vacation, and so I do not know whether this will be up on the internet as far as getting onto YouTube or not right away, but I'm sure it'll be up there eventually as things settle in. It's always fun to come back from a few days off during this busy time of year and then having the death of a pope while you're gone. Passing in the major media and the newspaper business, I am told that this is kind of creepy, actually, when you think about it, that they already have obituaries written for various famous people, and they have to keep updating them. So there's actually somebody there who has to keep updating obituaries of people who are still living. I was recently reading some comments from people who live outside the USA, who when they come to the USA are always amazed at how Americans tend to ask each other, hi, what do you do for a living? Um, we think it's very common to do this, but can you imagine uh, uh, this going on and you ask somebody, hey, what do you do for a living? Uh, well, I write obituaries for people who aren't dead yet. One of my relatives married a young woman who, uh, for lack of a better term, is a computer genius. And when I first met her, I kind of did that. I said, hey, w w what all do you do? And she said, oh, I, uh, I designed the artificial intelligence for cruise missiles for the government. Oh, that's nice. I, I teach people how to sell stuff on eBay. She is still doing that kind of stuff now, and she would tell me more about it, but then she'd have to kill me. I'm still always happy to talk to people who either as an actual vocation or an avocation are really spending time on their own spiritual life, their own inner life. And that's why 
I get so much pleasure out of doing these kinds of shows, talking with the bishop, talking with priests, talking with lay people about what they're doing. It's just the most wonderful thing I can think of doing in all of my career years in radio because it makes you realize how good people are and how much wonderment and joy there is out there that can be all around you if you just open your eyes and see it. We just celebrated Epiphany and for our Orthodox friends, a Merry Christmas. So I'm going to leave you with one last song that I just happen to like. It's called March of the Kings. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Connecting the Diocese and Shalom to our friends in New York who had that Christmas party. One fair day I met the grand array of three great kings upon a journey going. One fair day I met the grand array of three great kings upon their mighty way.
song and bustling band, her Noel now sing Noel. Fa la la la. 